This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. We'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We've been teaching a series for the last uh, number of weeks on overcoming offenses. And we've been using uh, the fourth chapter of Ephesians, the last couple of verses of the chapter as a, as a text scripture. And just for continuity, we'll start there again. Paul is writing by the Holy Ghost to the church and, and makes a remarkable statement by the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, we'll start reading in verse... Um, well, let's just start in verse 29, I guess. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. So God cares about the way we talk. Amen? Verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So our talking has something to do with the work of God in our lives. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another. Isn't it interesting that God would have to tell Christians to be kind to each other? You would think that would be a given. We're part of the same family that you would think that uh, since we all have the love of God in us, that would just be the normal way of operation. But apparently not. He said, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, not hard-hearted, but tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. As I mentioned, we've been talking about uh, overcoming offenses. Turn your Bibles to two different uh, openings, uh, Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 17. We've talked about some different things about what forgiveness is. We looked at the Old Testament example of Joseph, who in many ways is the type of Jesus in his forgiving his brothers who sold him into slavery and how that he was exalted to be prime minister of Egypt and saved his family as a result. And uh, and some of the characteristics, some of the... Uh, uh, the points that are that are brought out by the scripture of Joseph's method of uh, of forgiving his brothers is uh, is very instructive to us. Not only how we are forgiven, but also how we are to forgive. Now, in Matthew chapter twenty four, Jesus is talking about end time events, and uh, the disciples have asked him, you know, what what's the sign of your coming? When are these things going to take place? Meaning the destruction of the temple and and so forth. And, uh, and Jesus uh, makes some interesting points. A lot of them you know. He talks about wars and rumors of wars, uh, earthquakes and famines and different things like that. But notice in verse 10, he said, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. He speaks of many false prophets arising and deceiving many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now this love that he's talking about, this word that's used in the Greek is the word agape, which always is used for the love of God. Now don't get me wrong about this. The word agape is used throughout Greek literature. So every time the word agape is used, it does not mean the love of God. But every time the Bible is talking about the love of God, it uses the word agape. And so when, if the fact that Jesus uses a word that's, uh, that he knows is going to be identified with the love of God, he's got to be talking about believers. He's not talking about the love of the world waxing cold. He's talking about the love of believers. So he says, let's start again in verse 10. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. Notice offenses are a sign of the end. And many false prophets shall arise and, many sh- and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall bound... Because sin shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, but he that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now look with me over to Luke chapter 17. 
Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is also talking about things regarding um, Christian life, not necessarily the end times. But notice what he says about that which is to come. Verse 1 of chapter 17 of Luke, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Folks, you can pray, you can believe God, you can do anything and everything you can think of. Offenses are still going to be out there. You're still going to have the opportunity. You're still going to be faced with offenses. So you might as well face up to the fact it's what we choose to do with them that makes the difference, not whether or not they come. So he says it's impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast and be cast into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against you seven times in a day and seven times a day turn again to you saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. This is tough for the disciples. So they say, Lord, increase our faith. How are we going to do this? It's going to take something more than what we've got. Well, it's good that they recognize, first of all, that that forgiveness is by faith, not by feelings. So they're on the right track. And then Jesus tells them how it works. He said, it works through the things that you say. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the tree, be plucked up by the roots and cast into the sea. Forgiveness starts with your words. But folks, notice very simply, Jesus is saying, offenses are going to come. So if when they come, deal with them. Don't let them fester. Don't let them hang around. Deal with them. Now, there's two words that are used in the um, uh, in the New Testament for offenses, primarily, and uh, and those words are, are very similar, but there is a distinction between the two. The word that's used for uh, offend or offense in Matthew chapter 24 is a word that means snare. It means a trap. But this word that's used here in Luke chapter 17 and verse one, this word for offense means the bait that you put in the trap. So you need to realize offenses are designed to bait you into the devil's trap. Let me read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 2 what Paul said to Timothy as a minister about what his job was, what all ministers' jobs are, and not just for ministry. This is true for everybody. Verse 24, it said, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. See, people are in tough places because they're working against themselves. They think it's the devil working against them, but it's really them that have been trapped by the devil. Instructing In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. There's something they don't see. People are trapped because of what they don't see. The Bible says in Proverbs that the trap is laid in vain in the sight of the bird. What does that mean? That means if you know where the trap is, anybody can, can avoid it. We step into traps that we don't realize are there or that we don't realize are traps. That's what this is talking about. If peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Notice God's not the one that recovers you. God's not the one that gets you out of your trap. You get you out of your trap. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Another translation says, many other translations say, they're taken captive by him to do his will. In other words, when you're trapped, you're operating according to the bait that the devil set for you. And you're doing what he wants you to do rather than what the God wants you to do or what the word says to do. 
And that's where the repentance comes in to the acknowledging of the truth. If we don't acknowledge that we're doing something contrary to what the Bible says, then we're stuck in the trap thinking we're justified all the way. Now turn back with me in Mark chapter 4. We just saw when we started in Ephesians chapter 4, we saw that our actions, our words, and uh, the condition of our heart, hard-hearted versus tender-hearted, has a lot to do with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by operating contrary to the love of God, forgiveness, and, and so forth. Now, grieving the Holy Spirit doesn't mean He leaves you. It means you're not sensitive to what He's doing. If we've lost a loved one and we're grieving over their loss, it, it affects, it, it, uh, it invades other areas of our lives. We'll find ourselves sometimes crying over the loss of that loved one. We're doing things, not even thinking about it, and all of a sudden it, it overwhelms us. It takes our, our focus, it takes our attention, it takes our efforts away from other things that we might be focusing or attending on. Right? Well, when it says you grieve the Holy Spirit of God, it means that too spiritually. It means we lose our focus. We lose our spiritual attention. We lose the benefit of what the Holy Ghost is wanting to and trying to do in our lives because we've grieved him through hard-heartedness, through bitterness, and so forth. Now, we've talked about offenses from the standpoint of forgiveness and, and uh, what it is and how it works and what it really is and what about forgiving and forgetting and some of the other characteristics like that. This morning I want to give you a, a little different wrinkle where uh, offenses are concerned. Mark chapter 4, um, well, I really don't want to, to read the whole thing. Let me, uh, let me start off with, uh, with verse 2 and we'll read the parable and then just pick out the part that's, uh, that applies to us this morning for the sake of time. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his dark doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and some of the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some a hundred. Verse 9, And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, folks, verse 9 is the key to everything. The ground that he's talking about are types of people. The word or the seed that the sower sows is the word. He explains some of that. The disciples are asking him, What does all this stuff mean? Well, Jesus begins to explain. The part that we want to see is in verse 16 and 17 because it's talking about the stony ground. Before I read that, let me make a couple of comments. He speaks of four types of ground. Only one of the types of ground produced fruit. Only one-third of that one-fourth produced hundredfold fruit. Now, one-fourth is 25%. One-third of that is 8%. Jesus is saying there's going to be about 8% of the people that are going to hear the word and produce what the word intends for them to produce. 75% of them aren't going to produce anything. 25% will produce something. 8% will produce maximum yield. We'll get the most out of the word. We'll get everything out of the word that, that they possibly can. They will be devoted to it. And folks, everything about which type of ground you are or I am or anything else has to do with your decision, your determination, your attitude toward the word. 
doesn't have to do with God picks this one and doesn't pick that one. It has everything to do with the choices that we make. So verse 16, Jesus is explaining to the disciples about the stony ground. And he said, these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And have no root. The word root literally is the word moisture. They have no moisture in in themselves. That means they don't continue to feed on the word. They heard it once and it sounded great. They liked the, 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 uh, the preaching that they heard about healing being, being available to us and belonging to us. They liked the fact that God will supply our needs. They liked the benefits that they heard that the Bible is supposed to produce and provide for us through the sacrifice of Jesus, but they don't stick with it. Okay. Verse 16 again, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no root or moisture in themselves. They don't continue to feed on the word, in other words, to water the word, and so endure but for a time. Now what causes these people to turn loose? Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So, if we know the defenses are the snares and the bait that the devil uses to to trap you. And Jesus is telling us that this is what causes people to be offended. He mentions two things. He says afflictions, that means hard places, that means circumstances. That means things not working out the way you wanted them to. Has anybody experienced that? (laughs) The second is persecution. That means people pursuing you. That means people doing things against you. He said, those are the two things that will cause you, cause a person who is not tenderhearted, who has not given themselves to the word, who is not doing what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, so that we don't grieve the spirit of God. He's saying, this is what will block fruit from being produced in your life. This is what will block you from the the blessings of God that the promise that the Bible says are yours. The Bible promises you. It's what will block you from walking in the love of God. It's what will keep you from being an example of what the Bible says already is yours. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him, that's provision. That's the penalty or the, uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty. And by his stripes, you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect him to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19, it says, A brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city. And its contentions are like the bars of a castle. 
Now, we look at that and we think, oh, yeah, it's tough for the other person. If they're offended, it'll be tough for us to reach them. Folks, you could be the brother that's offended or the sister. And it's very simply saying this, that when we're offended, when we allow something to offend us, sometimes people get offended at God. Why am I being attacked with sickness? Do I not serve God more than most people? You can get offended at that. Why is this happening to me? Why why doesn't it happen to the other guy? Why does stuff like this always seem to come against me? You can get offended at God. You can get mad at God and say, God, I don't understand this. Why is this happening to me? Well, why not you? Every time I find somebody that's offended in one of those situations, and folks, if you if you want to know who they are, just look around. Because in my opinion, the vast majority of Christians are holding some kind of offense, and that offense does one and only one thing, and it changes the way you see yourself. Therefore, it changes the way you see other people. It can change the way you see God or change the way you see his word. How many times have we seen people extend their faith, or at least they thought they were, toward receiving healing and it doesn't work in the time frame that they allotted and so they get offended and they say well that's it I guess healing's not for everybody and who do they get mad at they get mad at God and they get mad at the preacher that told them the word says it belongs to them and so what do they do they go through life finding other people that will agree with them yeah those people that preach healing they're just taking you're just giving people false hope yeah called the bible They're just giving people false hope. They're doing a disservice and God will judge them. And so what do they do? They stand in judgment. And it changes the way they see themselves. It changes the way they see the word because they read it in the word for themselves. So now they have to take the position that, well, I guess not everything belongs to me. That the Bible says. Well, if one scripture doesn't belong to you, how do you know one other does? What are we left with? Nothing in the Bible belongs to us? Then how do you know you're saved? Folks, it's either all true or it's all a lie. There's no middle ground. None whatsoever. And these are the offenses that people take through life. And they carry these offenses and it changes their perspective. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 3. Let me show you what I mean by this. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus uh, gave certain uh, messages to the churches before he told what was going to happen during the tribulation period. They're just as much a part of the revelation of Jesus as the the end time events that are recorded beginning in chapter 4. I want you to see in Revelation chapter 3 beginning in verse 14 what Jesus said to the Laodicean church. Because it's, it's exactly what happens to us. This can be an example to us if we don't deal with and overcome offenses the way the Bible says we should. Notice in verse 14 it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, in the the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. So they're doing something. I know your works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would thou wert cold or hot. Now, folks, if that doesn't describe the majority of the American church today, what does? You've got the majority of the American church trying to justify or identify whether what they're doing is okay with God or not. Verse 16, So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Notice he does not say, I will send thee to hell. 
He says, I'll spew you out of your mouth. What does he mean? He means you'll be the thorny ground or the stony ground that doesn't produce fruit. You'll be hindered from producing fruit in your life. Why? Because for some reason you've become offended at the Word of God, either through affliction or persecution, you've become offended at the Word of God so that you're on you're in the middle of the road where the Bible's concerned. Well, we don't want to be too much of a sinner, but we don't want to be a religious fanatic either. So we'll just be right here where nobody knows who we are. Yeah, that'll get them saved. <clears throat> be like them. That's what always draws them in. So he said, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now what was their problem? Please notice verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Now remember we read over in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that which ministers grace to the hearer and grieve not the Holy Spirit. Now we see that what they're saying and what their attitude is, is what's grieved the Holy Spirit to keep them from being fruit-producing Christians. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But here's the real condition. That's how they saw themselves, but here's how God saw them. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but those seem to be two opposite positions. They're saying, here's how we see ourselves. We are so with it. God says, you don't see, you don't recognize that you're poor, you're miserable, you're wretched, and you're naked. I may have left something out in there. I'm not sure. He said, you're exactly the opposite of what you think you are. Now, what in the world caused them to see themselves wrongly? What would cause us to see ourselves differently than the way that we really are? Folks, there's only one thing that does that, and that is if you've been taken in the snare of the devil so that now you're doing your will. They think they're doing the will of God, but they're really doing the devil's will. What is the devil's will? To take the position that we have got it all together. Why? Why is that trapped by the devil? Because if you think you've got it all together, you're not trying to find out what the Bible says about how you should live otherwise. One of the greatest traps that the devil sets is complacency. Now, folks, there's a difference between being content and being complacent. Paul said, I've learned to be content, but he was never complacent. He never stopped growing. He never stopped pursuing the things of God. He came to the place where he accepted. These are the circumstances. Fine, I'll deal with them. They're not comfortable. They're not always pleasant. But I've learned in whatever circumstances I am, I am in to be content because I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what he's saying is I've learned to be content with the circumstances because Jesus' power always is available and always works for me. In other words, I can always put the word to work. So I can be content whether things are good or whether things look bad. I can be content. But he was never complacent. He never got to the place where he stopped moving forward, where he stopped examining himself to put the word of God to work in his life. Now, how do you change that? If you find yourself in that position, if you're in a lukewarm place in your life, what do you do? How do you change that? How do you start looking at yourself in the, with the right point of view? Let's keep reading. 
Jesus gives them the answer. Verse 18, he said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And then he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. What's he saying? He's saying, this is his chastening. You need to buy gold for me that's tried in the fire. Now turn back with me a couple of pages to 1 Peter chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me explain to you how gold is purified. In the old days, gold would be purified. They didn't have some of the furnaces that they have now, and so the processes were a little bit different. But in the old days, uh, in Bible days certainly, gold was ground into a powder. And that powder was then mixed with something called flux, so what we'd call today flux. I don't know what they called it back then. And, it, and, and, and what happens, gold is a real soft material, soft metal. And so the only thing that makes gold hard is if you mix it with other metals. But if you want pure gold, then you've got to get rid of the other metals. So that's what you do. You take the, you take the gold or the, the mixture, the metal mixture, and you grind it into powder. Then you mix it with this powder called flux. And then you heat it all up. Now the flux causes the other metals to be drawn to it, and then that creates what's called dross. And then they, uh, they you know, pull off the dross from the top, and what you're left with is pure gold. There's a problem with that because when Jesus says, I counsel you to buy gold for me, try it in the fire, that means a couple of things. That means, number one, being ground into powder. Now, I don't care what spiritual context you put that in. That doesn't sound fun. (laughs) The second thing is being heated up till you melt. I can't find a lot of expectancy, you know, joyful expectancy in that one either. Yet that's exactly what the Bible says. Because the afflictions is the powdering, is the, is the grinding up, is the, the heating process of our lives. That's why James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, test trials and afflictions. Knowing this, you're being purified like gold. That's not what he says. He says the trying of your faith work is patience. But that's what the result is. That we're purified like gold. We learn through trouble. I don't want to learn that way, Pastor Mike. I want to learn through success. Okay. Well, there are times where we can. But that's like saying I want to learn to be a bodybuilder without going to the weight room. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to exert any energy. I just want to have big muscles. Well, there's a way you can do that. You can inject yourself. But guess what? That doesn't turn out well. All kinds of things happen when people take drugs and stuff like that to supplement or substitute for the hard work of making yourself stronger. Spiritually, it works the same way. You cannot inject yourself. There is no injection. You can make yourself look like it, but there is no immediate fix or instant way to make it happen. The only way it's going to happen is you going through life experiences, and some of those are going to be tough. That's why James said, here's how you learn to handle it. Count it all joy. It's not joy, but count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, you're being ground to powder and purified like gold. 
Forgiveness is the key to walking in peace and walking in victory in life. Unforgiveness will hinder your faith and rob you of the blessings of God. Thanks for being with us today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. So faith begins where the will of God is known. God's Word reveals His will to you. And once you know His will, there is nothing that can stop you from receiving what God has for you. That is the number one problem, the number one objection that everybody has, no matter what the area is, healing or whatever, that is the number one objection that people have. They don't know if it's God's will for them. Well, how are we going to find out? The answer is in the Word. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.